Luke chapter number 10 this morning. We'll be looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan. This parable is probably one of the more familiar parables that Jesus taught. It's one that we hear often about. It's one that's easy to teach. Uh, we find it in our literature in Sunday school. If you've went to church much of your life, you've probably heard this uh, in Sunday school and heard this parable many times. Uh, and the focus that this parable gets, the focus that we normally give to this parable uh, is the teaching uh, of how we should treat our neighbor or how we should respond when we see someone in need. And that is definitely taught in this parable. We'll definitely be looking at that this morning. But that's not the only lesson uh, that is taught in this parable. As I say many times, whenever we're looking at passages of Scripture, I tell you that in order to get a full understanding uh, of a passage of Scripture, we need to understand it in context. We need to look at the circumstances around it. We need to look what was going on. We need to understand what prompted this parable. And in understanding that, we see that in this parable, Jesus is not only teaching how we should respond to those in need, but he is also teaching us of our inability to obtain salvation on our own and the worthlessness of a name only religion. So look with me here in Luke chapter number 10. We'll begin reading in verse number 25. Luke chapter number 10 and verse number 25. It was where we begin this parable. We'll read down through verse number 37. The Bible says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw it, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, dear Lord, that... You have given us your word. I thank you, dear Lord, that you have preserved your word. And Father, although, uh, Lord, many, many centuries have passed, Father, since you taught these words, Lord, we still are able to look at them. We're still able to read them. We're still able to, uh, Lord, learn from them. And Father, I thank you, uh, Lord, that you have given us your word. I pray, dear Lord, we never take your word for granted. And uh, Lord, never assume, uh, Father, that we'll always have it. But Lord, I pray that we will apply ourselves uh, to your scriptures, that Lord, we might learn 
discern what your word has to say that Lord we might be the people uh, that you would have us to be. Father I thank you for the message of salvation that is found in your word. I thank you dear Lord for the instructions uh, on how to live uh, a Christian life that is found in your word. I thank you dear Lord for the promise of eternity that is found in your word. And Father Lord as we look into your word this morning I pray dear Lord that you will take uh, and Lord that you will speak through your word uh, to your people today. Father I pray uh, that you will show us Lord the worthlessness of a name only salvation and Father Lord also we will learn the importance of Lord exhibiting love to those that are in need. I pray to Lord that you will be with the children's program this morning. Be with those that are downstairs working in that program. Bless as they teach and minister to them Lord. Plant a seed in their heart that Lord they may come to know you as Savior. Thank you dear Lord for the opportunity to be in your house. Bless now and Father we'll thank you in Jesus name. Amen and amen. Amen. As we begin looking at this parable, as I said, I want us to notice the setting in which the parable is given. Here we see Jesus is questioned concerning the law. It said in verse number 25, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now while the question is good, we see from the context here that the intent of the question is not good. To ask the question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life, is a question that each and every one of us ought to ask. It is a question that we ought to find the answer to. All of us ought to be interested in knowing how do I obtain salvation? How do I inherit eternal life? So the question is good, but we see here that the question was asked, the Bible says, by a lawyer. Now a lawyer is not someone who practices legal law such as we would use the word today, but here in this verse the word lawyer is speaking to someone who was well versed in the law of Moses. This is someone who understood the Old Testament law, someone who was able to teach and explain the Old Testament law. Uh, this was the people who in the Word of God and the Gospels, we find out that this is the people who had the biggest problem with Jesus uh, because the law of Moses, uh, man had taken and added to it and developed it uh, and made it its own religion beyond what God had given them. Uh, and Jesus came uh, and Jesus in his ministry began to expose uh, where they were failing concerning the law. And so these people had a big problem with Jesus. They didn't like Jesus. And so what is happening here in verse number 25 is this guy is trying to prove that Jesus is a false prophet. He's trying to prove that he is not who he says he is. It's that a certain lawyer came to Jesus tempting him. Now the word tempt right there, uh, if we understand the usage of that word in that verse, it means that he was testing him. Uh, he was trying to find out how he would answer this question, uh, thinking that Jesus uh, is just for pretend. Uh, he's just building a name for himself. He really doesn't know anything about the law. I'll ask him this question. He'll give a wrong answer. I can prove to everybody that he's false uh, and then he will no longer be swaying people and I will have helped religion greatly. So this lawyer comes to Jesus and he tempts him. He tests him and says, uh, uh, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? See the, see the false respect there? Master. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? We see that he comes to Jesus wanting to see what Jesus would say, trying to trip Jesus up, trying to expose his ignorance of the law, trying to reveal that he was false, not for real. But Jesus, 
I, you know, they say you ought to find people to look up to and then try to be like them. Jesus is a good one for that. Well, I'm telling you what, he knew how to talk to people. He knew how to control conversations. He knew how to turn conversations to cause people to reflect upon themselves. This man comes to Jesus. He asked Jesus a question. He's intending to trip Jesus up. And Jesus just took control of the situation and turned the conversation back on him. Look here what we see. It says that Jesus said unto him, in verse number 26, He, Jesus, said unto him, the lawyer, what is written in the law? How readest thou? So the lawyer comes to Jesus and he says, how do I obtain eternal life? And Jesus said, uh, I don't know. What's the law say? How do you read it? How do you understand it? You tell me what you see. You tell me what you read and, and let me know what it says. And so, of course, this puts the guy and uh, sets him back a little bit, uh, but he knew the law and so now he wants to show off a little bit. He wants to show Jesus just how much he does know. Oh, you want to test my knowledge of the law? Oh, I know the law. I can quote the law. This is not a problem at all. I can give you an answer. I'll let you know what the law says. And so he, in verse number 27, he's quoting here from Deuteronomy chapter number 6 and also from Leviticus chapter number 19, direct quotes from the law. He says in verse number 27, and he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. He gave the right answer. He answered correctly. Righteousness and selflessness, this is the requirement. And let me just say to you today that this is still the requirement. Now you might be sitting there thinking, hold on Pastor John, where are you going? You just bear with me, alright? We'll clear this up. This is not a time to get distracted. You need to stay with me for just a couple minutes here. He says this is what is required to inherit eternal life and this is correct. There is no way to inherit eternal life outside of righteousness. There is no way that anyone will see God outside of righteousness. There is no way that anyone will spend eternity in heaven without righteousness. And so you look at this and you're like, uh-oh, now we see that we have to work for our salvation, which is exactly what this Pharisee thought, that he was going to have to do these things in order to inherit eternal life. But what Jesus was doing was revealing to him his inability to keep the law. You see, none of us are able to keep the law. None of us are able to do anything to inherit eternal life. None of us are ever able to live to a standard of righteousness that would merit entrance into the pearly gates. The only way that we can ever come before God is if we accept the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and then we will have the righteousness of God which will allow us entrance. This is what Jesus is trying to get this Pharisee to recognize. He's trying to help this Pharisee recognize the importance of Jesus. You see, the Pharisee came wanting to prove that Jesus was not who he said he was. Jesus is turning the tables around and showing him why he needs a Savior. He is turning around showing him, yes, you know the law, but I am here because you can't keep the law. This is what Jesus is wanting to do. Jesus is trying to switch things around and help him. The law is clear without holiness. No man 
will see the Lord. Jesus is causing this man to examine himself in light of the law. And you know what? It would do us good once in a while to examine ourselves in light of the law. You say, why is that? Well, the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter number 3 and verse number 24, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. What am I saying here? The law reveals to me my inadequacy. Without the law, I would never realize how far from grace I really am. Without the law, I would never recognize how far from the righteousness of God I truly was. Without the law, I would never realize my inability to obtain heaven on my own. But the law is my schoolmaster. The law reveals my condition. The law reveals my inability. The law reveals my shortcomings. The law reveals that there is no way ever that I can keep every one of the things that are written in the Word of God. There's no way that I can ever in the strength of this flesh live a perfect life. Therefore, the law as a schoolmaster educates me and turns me to Christ who is the only one who can offer salvation. The law is a schoolmaster that reveals our need to be justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse number 28, Jesus answers this man and he said unto him, Thou hast answered right. This do and thou shalt live. The man says to Jesus, here's what you have to do. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy strength, all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Jesus said, you're right, do that. You got it taken care of. Now what this man should have done at this point because we find out by the parable where this guy's weakness was. Now what this guy should have done at this point was said, but Jesus, that's where I run into a problem. I don't get along well with others. I have a problem loving my neighbor. See, this is, this is where I'm struggling at. He should have admitted the law has revealed my weakness. Jesus said, you got it right. If you can do that, you'll make it to heaven. But the next verse, look at this next verse. This will reveal the heart of this man. In verse number 29, it says, But he, willing to justify himself. He, willing to justify himself. Now we could just park here and preach the rest of the service and we just might. You see, this is the problem with so many people. The law revealed his shortcoming. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Love God and love your neighbor. That's what you need to do. You do that, you can go to heaven. This is what Jesus said. But the guy knew he was not good at loving his neighbor because he said he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He knew there were some people he didn't like. 
There was somebody that came to his mind, maybe a number of somebodies, maybe Jesus standing right there in front of him, uh, who he did not like. Uh, this is somebody he does not care for. Uh, this is somebody he has a problem with. Uh, and so he wants to justify himself. Uh, he knows that he's not keeping the law that he just quoted. He knows uh, that he's not doing what said he has to do and instead of admitting his guilt, instead of admitting his weakness, he said I want to justify myself. I want to find a way to excuse my failure so that I can come continue living not quite where God says I have to live and be assured in my heart that I will still see heaven anyway. This is what's going on in his mind. This is a problem that we see in churches everywhere. The man of God stands and preaches from the Word of God and the Word of God reveals your inability to obtain heaven through your own goodness. The Word of God reveals the areas where you are falling short. The Word of God reveals your need to respond to the call of the gospel and put your trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you are willing to justify yourself. Instead of admitting that I'm wrong... I want to excuse my behavior and convince myself that where I'm coming short is okay with God and I can still get to heaven on my good works. That is where this lawyer has found himself. But he, willing to justify himself, said, Who is my neighbor? I believe there are many people, I believe there are many people who find themselves struggling in an area. Whenever they look at the area that they're struggling in, and I'm speaking of lost folks, they feel that accepting salvation means they have to give this up. They have to stop this. They can no longer do this. It might be an addiction. It might be... It's any number of things. We could go on and on and on what it might be. You know what it is, but there's this thing... And they're like, if I accept Christ, I have to stop this. So the alternative is to convince myself that God is not going to judge me for that. And I try to find a way to excuse it. And once I convince myself that God doesn't have a problem with it, then I convince myself that I can do enough good to get myself into heaven. And we go through life on a train that is headed for a train wreck because we are putting our hope in something that goes directly against the Word of God that says you can never, 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 never satisfy the righteousness of God outside of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what Jesus was trying to help this lawyer recognize. It says, but he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus then gives the parable of the Good Samaritan, which both revealed this man's need for a Savior, as well as provided you and I with an example of how we should respond to the needs of others when we're motivated 
by the love of God. Let's look at this parable this morning. As we consider this parable, we're introduced to four individuals, four individuals here in this parable. The first one that we meet uh, there in verse number 30 is a suffering traveler, a suffering traveler. In verse 30, and Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, you've probably heard the story about the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was kind of a... A, a, a deserted road. There wasn't any towns or anything along the road. And so it was a perfect place for thieves to hide in the rocks and in the mountains. And whenever a, a lone traveler would come through, they were an easy target. Uh, they would uh, jump on the, uh, the person, rob them, take their goods, and beat the person and leave them, and then they could get away. It was a great place for this. This was a, a dangerous road to travel. So as Jesus is giving this parable, everyone understands the area that he's talking about. This is an area that, you know, when people travel here, they're prone to getting robbed. So this made perfect sense to say that this would have happened there. And Jesus said this man was traveling. He fell among thieves. The thieves took everything they had. They left him half dead. We see the suffering traveler. This man had fallen among thieves. Now think about this. Just the day before, this man was wealthy. Just the day before, this man had everything that he needed. Just the day before, this man was going to make a business trip from Jerusalem to Jericho. Just the day before, this man was setting well in life. Everything looked good for him. He was in control, but now we find him beaten broken and lying in a ditch, unable to help himself, unable to help others, and his only hope is that somebody would help him. You know what? Every day, every day, sometimes to our knowledge, sometimes not to our knowledge, but every day, you and I encounter people who everything was okay yesterday and it's not okay today. We encounter people who ran into a financial something they weren't expecting and they've lost everything. We encounter people who thought they were healthy yesterday who got word from the doctor uh, that they've only got six months left to live. Uh, we encounter people uh, who have all sorts of things uh, that have taken the wind out of their sails uh, and they find themselves broken. Uh, we run into people uh, who are living a life of carelessness and sin uh, and seemingly getting away with it, uh, who have hit rock bottom uh, and have found out uh, that they're going to have to pay uh, for the sins that they have done uh, and they find themselves healthy helpless, hopeless, broken, unable to help anyone and hoping that somebody will help them. You know, something that is a tendency of humans, something that we tend to do is whenever we go looking uh, for someone to join us, whether that be here at the church or join our business or join us in friendship or whatever it is, uh, uh, without even doing it intentionally, we look for people who can give back, right? Well, if I, if I become his buddy... Well, I can, I can do this and he can do that. We'd make a great team together. We can contribute to one another. And many times, you know, if we see someone and we invite them to church, we'd be like, boy, be good. All the talent that guy's got. Oh, man, look at the talent and the things he can do, the way he can sing, the way he can speak. Boy, if God was to save him, think of everything he could do for the church. We, we find ourselves thinking these type of thoughts, right? We, we look at people and we, we consider what can they give back. But Jesus is using the example of someone that cannot give back. You know what? Whenever we go looking for people to share the gospel with, 
Let's start looking for people that can't give back. Let's start looking for people that are in the, at the end of their life, looking for people that are on their deathbed, looking for people uh, that are so financially and physically broken that they'll never be able to contribute to the ministry. And let's go find them and share with them the hope of the gospel. You know who is most receptive to hope is the person that is at the end of their road. This man was at the end of his rope. He was broken. He was beaten. He couldn't do anything for anybody else. He was someone who was on the verge of eternity. Every day we meet people on the verge of eternity because of the havoc that has been wrought on their life, be it from the course of life or the thieves of addiction, immorality, or the sacrifice of their soul to the elusive pursuit that the world offers that never satisfies. Now they're lying in a ditch, broken, and they will die unless somebody stops to help. This is the example that Jesus gives us. As he continues his parable, he highlights the shortcoming of the lawyer as he gives a description of a worthless minister. A worthless minister. Look in verse number 31. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Here we see a worthless minister. How do we come up with that? Well, the job of the priest was to minister to the people. This was the job of the priest. This is what he did. He was a minister to help the people. He was one that helped bring their case before the Lord. He was the one that was there to serve the people in their communication and in their religious practices. Yet this minister saw the need and he chose to ignore it. He saw all the need, yet he chose to ignore it. As Christians, we, every one of us, have been called to minister to those in need. The Bible says that we are priests. We are to minister to those in need. Every one of us have been called. The Bible says in James 1 and verse number 27, pure religion and undefiled before God and the fatherless is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. This is what we have been called to do. You want pure religion? Minister to those that can't give back. That is what we're called to do. Galatians 6 and verse number 10 says, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good to all men. 1 John three seventeen says, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? 1 John 3 verse number 18 says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You know what? It's one thing to tell someone you care for them. It's something entirely different to show them that you care for them. He said, let us not love in word and in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You and I are called to minister, yet we see this man avoiding an opportunity to minister. How many times have we been guilty of seeing a need and passing by on the other side. This man saw the need, yet he chose to leave him there while he went on his way. Next, next we're introduced to a calloused Christian. First we see the worthless minister, now we see a calloused Christian. In verse number 32, and likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by 
on the other side. The tribe of Levi was called to serve. This was their calling, just as you and I as Christians have been called to serve. But we see here that a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. I see here a calloused Christian. You see, the priest saw it and he passed by on the other side, but the Levite, he did a little differently. It said when he was at the place, he came and looked on him. I understand that to mean that he stopped and observed. You poor soul. You're in rough shape. Somebody really beat the devil out of you. Man, awful. And he turned and went away. You know what? Sometimes we're going along the way and we see a need and we just pass on. Worthless minister. See the need but don't stop to help. The Levite was calloused. He stopped and looked. He saw the need. He understood the need. He could see the extent of the wounds. He knew that if somebody didn't help this guy, this guy would die. But this fellow was so in tune with himself and what he had to do that he left him laying there, left him there, left him to die. His heart had become hard. He was unmoved by what he saw. He was unaffected by the needs of others. He simply looked on him and left him there. A callous Christian. Throughout the Gospels we read of Jesus being moved with compassion when he looked at the multitudes, moved with compassion when he looked at the multitudes. Whether it was a physical ailment, whether it was their spiritual blindness, Jesus was moved to action when he saw their condition. But this man had gone cold towards others. His self-centered focus had rendered him useless in the field of helping others. You know the number one thing that will render you useless in the area of helping other people? is self-centeredness. It will render you completely incapable of doing good to others when you become solely focused upon yourself. No amount of pain or suffering could move this guy to set aside his own agenda for the benefit of someone else. No matter how much they were hurting, no matter how much they were suffering, nothing could move him to set his own agenda aside. We read there 1 John three seventeen. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? The Bible says that if you see someone in need, and you have the means whereby to help them, and you do not help, how is it possible that you have the love of God in you? This is so ungodlike. It's, we can't even imagine how you could have God inside of you if you can see someone in need and walk away from them. That is so completely unlike God because He is the one who pours Himself out for the benefit of mankind who do not deserve it. The Levites were set apart for the work of God, yet this man was unaffected by the needs of others. His focus was on himself, his religion was for his own benefit. You know a good meter to tell whether someone's religion is true or not is whether or not they're affected by others. 
Because when the Spirit of God moves in on the inside of you, there is something that changes in how you view other people. We see that this man's religion was for his own benefit. He was just hoping to get a free pass to heaven. He wasn't looking uh, to be a blessing to anyone else. His life had not been changed. His religion was only for his own benefit. He had no love in his heart for others. This man's religion was vain. It was only a title that made him feel better about himself. We see in 1 John 4 and verse number 20, if a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. Now, boy, that's pretty clear language, isn't it? If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. In other words, he's lying when he tells you he loves God if he doesn't love his brother also. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this is the commandment we have from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. So we see a worthless minister and a callous Christian, but thank the Lord for this next fella. In verse number 33, we're introduced to a selfless Samaritan. A selfless Samaritan. In verse number 33, it says, But a certain Samaritan. Interesting that Jesus used a Samaritan here. We know the relationship that the Jews had with the Samaritans. So Jesus is here teaching that it doesn't matter what your genealogy is. What matters is the heart. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, the wounded man. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him. Here we meet a selfless Samaritan. Remember, the Pharisee said, Who is my neighbor? Jesus said, I'll tell you who your neighbor is. Is, it is everyone. And whenever you begin to think less of yourself and more of others, whenever your attention is more on helping others than it is on benefiting yourself, whenever you are more focused on the needs of others than you are on the welfare of yourself, then you have understood who your neighbor is. You want to justify yourself. You want to think that you can earn salvation. Here's how you do it. You take and put everyone on the entire planet on a higher pedestal than you are and you give yourself to their service. That's how you can justify yourself. This selfless Samaritan, this selfless Samaritan, he was observant. He saw him. He was compassionate. The Bible says he had compassion on him and he was motivated when he saw him and he had compassion. He got off of his mount and he went to him. He was motivated because of his selflessness. This Samaritan was able to help the man that was ready to die. Very quickly here, we're out of time this morning. Very quickly, this will give you a few things that the Samaritan was able to provide because of his selflessness. We see in verse number 34 that he was able to provide healing for his wounds. Because of his selflessness, he was able to provide healing for his wounds. In verse 34, and he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in all and wine. He was able to provide healing for the hurting man. Why? Because he was willing. He was moved with compassion. Not only could he provide healing for his wounds, but he provide help for his weariness. It says there in verse number 34, and set him 
on his own beast. So he goes down into the ditch. He binds up the wounds. He stops the bleeding. He puts oil and wine on the scrapes and the cuts. He cleans him up. But the guy's weak. He is weary. He's expent all his energy calling for help. He has no ability to carry himself. So not only does he give healing for his wounds, but he gives help for his weariness. He sets him on the beast. Not only that, but we see that this Samaritan was able to provide housing from his wandering. You know what? There's a lot of people out in this world who are wandering from one attraction to the next trying to find some sort of satisfaction and all they need is to find a home in the family of God. This man provided housing from his wandering, it says, and brought him to an inn. And we see here that he, that he took care of his wandering and then fourthly we see that the Samaritan provided hope for his worries. You see somebody that's just got beaten and robbed and left for half dead they have nothing to give back. They have no way to take care of themselves. And this man bound him up and put him on the beast and took him to the inn. He was appreciative. But if he had any amount of consciousness about himself, I'm sure he was concerned. The same as you are when you go to the emergency room. How am I going to pay for this? How am, I, how am I going to satisfy this debt? I appreciate him saving my life. I appreciate him letting me ride on the donkey, but how am I going to pay for this? I was just robbed. I don't have anything left to offer. We see the Samaritan provided hope for his worries. It says there the last part of verse number 34, and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said, take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. And we could have preached for a while just on the four points what the Samaritan did. But I want to say that whenever you have a selfless spirit and you can focus on the needs of others, I'm telling you what, there is no telling what you can do. Every day we encounter people who are laying in the ditch. Every day we encounter people who need someone to bind up their wounds get them out of the ditch, and to take care of them. We encounter them every day, but we will never be able to help them until we get our eyes off of ourselves and onto those in need. Jesus said in verse 36 and verse 37, he asked the Pharisee, bringing home the realization that there's no way he could ever earn his salvation, he said, which now these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him then said, Jesus, go and do thou likewise. There's two things that we learn from this parable. One, there's no way that we can ever earn salvation on our own. However, when we accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Spirit of God moves in on the inside of us and it changes the way that we behave towards others. The song says and they will know we are Christians by our love. 1 Corinthians chapter number 13 says, Charity never faileth. Whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall pass away. But charity never faileth. You know what? I can get up here and preach, and sometimes I say wrong things. Sometimes I get home, and at dinner time, I say to my family, um... Did I really say what I think I said? And they're like, hmm, you did. Like, oh my goodness. 
I hope everybody was asleep. <laughs> you know what? Sometimes I say the wrong things. Sometimes I'll explain a passage of Scripture the way that I understand it, and later when I study it again, I'll realize that I, I mis-explained that passage of Scripture. And prophecy, and, and I know that the, that verse is speaking in a bigger scale, but prophecies can fail. Knowledge can fail. All these things can fail, but charity never ever fails. And a child of God will exhibit a spirit of love for one another that the world can clearly see but cannot explain. So as we conclude this sermon this morning, I have two questions. One is, unsaved? Are you spending your life trying to convince yourself that the sin you're holding on to is not going to keep you out of heaven? Are you going through life doing your best to convince yourself that you're going to be okay? Although you know you're falling short, you know there are areas you're not meeting up, but instead of putting your trust in Christ, you're trying to convince yourself that you're going to be okay. But then I say to the Christians, have we become calloused to the needs of others? Boy, sometimes it's very easy to just become calloused to the needs of others. Are we exhibiting the love of God through our actions to those we encounter on a daily basis? Let's all stand to our feet. As Miss Debbie comes to the piano, the Lord spoke to your heart this morning. If you're unsaved, quit trying to justify yourself. On judgment day, it'll do you no good. Come to this altar and put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian and you've noticed that you've had this tendency, that you're getting short with the brethren, you're not moved by the needs of the lost, you notice that you're getting calloused. As Miss Debbie plays, the Lord spoke to your heart. You come. You come.